There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. This episode of Stock Club is brought to you by Hyundai. Restart your journey towards a greener world with Hyundai's next generation of zero emission cars. Find out more about their range of electric vehicles and the savings they can bring to your company and employees at Hyundai.ie. Hi there and welcome to the Stock Club Podcast. I'm James and with me this week is my Wall Street co-founder and chief investor Emmett Savage and our head analyst Rory Caron. In this episode, we're talking about why the market went so crazy over news of a potential vaccine, how last week's ballots will affect the industries of ride-sharing, gambling and marijuana, and some of the electric vehicle companies we're researching, none of which are Tesla. So guys, as incredible as this sounds, this is actually the 18th episode of Stock Club that we've recorded completely remotely. Um, to celebrate this occasion, myself and our sound engineer, Luke, decided it might be time to get both of you guys some better microphones um, so that our audience can hear you a little bit better. How are they working out for you? Rory, your voice is classically very low. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> classically, like as in... Classically it's very low. Okay. If you were to if you were to release a spoken word album, I think that would be one of the reviews on the front cover. <laughs> I was once told by uh, someone I don't know what his experience was or what his expertise was, but he he said I had a lovely voice and that I should be reading audiobooks. So, whoever you are, thank you for that. That gave me some great that, confidence back in the day. That's exactly why we got you a nice new mic, <laughs> Emmett. How's your new mic working out? Loving it. Have a home studio effectively now between lighting, mics, headphones. You know, an office in our spare bedroom. You know. We've got it all set up here. Yeah, well, to move on, according to the market this week, it actually might not be that long until we're all back in the studio, at least according to Pfizer, who announced on Monday that the phase three results from the COVID-19 vaccine were going very well. Um, This caused everything on Wall Street to go a little bit mental. The bottom fell out of the so-called stay-at-home stocks like Zoom, Peloton and Etsy, while the companies that had been most adversely affected by the pandemic closures, like IMAX, Eventbrite and TripAdvisor, all saw their prices soar. Evan, I'm going to come to you first with this, and it's one of the questions I think we've probably got in most this week. Is now the time to invest in Pfizer? Yeah. Okay. Um, well, we have to kind of roll back, I think, before we answer that question yeah. um, and just examine what's actually happened. Um, specifically yesterday, and we're recording on Wednesday, but on Tuesday when Pfizer made the announcement that um, their vaccine was effective in 90% of trialists, we what we saw was that capital effectively ran from one side of the stock exchange to the other. Um, and and really, I and I think the same goes for Rory, like we're not a big fan of reaction when it comes to building out a portfolio of assets to hold for the very long term. Though, I, you know, I acknowledge that now is the moment in time where we exist. So now is the time when we have the available time and funds to research an investment and commit to it for what should be the long term. So the announcement from Pfizer for me was just another chapter in the year that was 2020. And this year, from my point of view, 2020 was and has been the year of exaggerated responses. Yeah. And um 
like shares have dropped and popped like nothing we have ever seen before. So let me read to you something I've just opened up here, which is Wikipedia's definition of the 2020 crash. Okay, let me just read it out to you. It says the 2020 stock market crash, also referred to as the coronavirus crash, was a major and sudden global stock market crash that began on 20th February 2020 and ended on the 7th of April. Okay, so that's only about six weeks. Um, They're my words, not in Wikipedia, though I may edit the page later as it is factual. (laughs) Um, But anyway, Wiki continues. It says, now this is the interesting bit. The crash was the fastest fall in global stock markets in financial history and the most devastating crash since the Wall Street crash of 1929. The crash, however, only caused a short-lived bear market and in April global stock markets re-entered a bull market. The crash signaled the beginning of the COVID-19 recession. And so the page continues. And the reason I'm reading that out is it is, I guess the extreme example of why this has been a year of reaction. And, you know, the reason I think we're seeing reactions, and I haven't forgotten your question, I'm going to come back to Pfizer in a minute, yeah. um, is that there's been a shift in, in response times from the world to news. And it's I, I believe it's because retail investors have agile money and there are a lot more retail investors out there. And one report I read about six months ago was that the dollar volume of retail has increased from around 10%. So around 10% of, you know, your average weekly activity came from retail investors has increased to about 35% over the last two years or so. And that's in large part, thanks to zero commission brokers. And, you know, those people like us, those people who are not managing giant funds and are sitting at home in our work from home offices with the news flowing and tools to take investment decisions, it doesn't, you know, there's not much time required to make a decision and there's not much barriers to decisions. And what we are seeing, as we did when Pfizer announced the vaccine is a sudden reaction. So when I said that money ran from one side of the exchange to the other, the stocks that Rory and I have researched and absolutely have total conviction are outstanding long-term investments, um, took a haircut. Like the Mm. the one of many, many examples that jumps to mind is Peloton. It fell 20%. I think Etsy was the same ballpark. Um, And then you have the older world businesses, those uh, that were left for dead. One that springs to mind is the Empire State Realty Trust or the Empire State Building, as as suppose you you describe it. it. It jumped 35%. So money left shares like Peloton and Zoom and Etsy and ran to traditional old world businesses. It, it seemed to me quite like a, a seesaw motion. It was just all the money yeah. seemed to go from one end of the seesaw to the mm-hmm. other. Couldn't agree more. That was it. And I guess, yeah, that's what I mean when I say the, the, the money went from one side of the exchange to the other. So Pfizer, I think on the day, jumped about 8%. Um, and I don't have it here, but I think Pfizer is something like a $210, $220 billion business. It's been around for a long time. It's cured an awful lot of the world's problems and um, has done so with a great degree of integrity, I'd say, because it was something that that Rory brought to my mind there this morning via a friend of ours, uh, Bill Mann, who pointed out that Pfizer developed this drug without any subsidies from government. And um, and the, this is a business that decided they didn't want to be encumbered by yeah. um, the strings that come with grant aid. And they've gone and done something which we all hope and anticipate is going to reinvigorate, you know, the world and confidence and, and safe being and well-being. So do I think it's now is the time to buy Pfizer? Well, 
What I think is that um, the news is out. Other yeah. vaccines may yet present themselves and may not need to be transported at very low temperatures and may not need to have two doses and may not need to be an annual thing. So um, I, I am still in the same camp that I'm always in, which is I have cautious respect for investing in pharmaceuticals. If I was going to invest in a pharma business, Pfizer would make a shortlist. You know, they, they get things right and they do things well, or at least have done so, so far. Um, but is now the time to best invest in Pfizer? I would say it depends entirely on your time frame. If you're looking at a 10-year perspective for a safe investment in a pharma giant, I think Pfizer is, you know, a tier A business. It, it won't, like, look at it, it moved something like 6 or 7 8% on the news of probably curing or helping the world with the biggest problem we've seen in 100 years. So a 7-ish percent move on that news kind of tells the story of what you can expect from big pharma businesses. Their job yeah. is to fix global problems. Um, I think the golden grail of pharmaceutical investing is Alzheimer's. Um, if you were going to try and find, you know, a portfolio of pharma businesses that, you know, have the possibility of kind of exaggerated growth or outperforming the stock market. I think the, the ones that are pursuing that uh, is probably a better angle at this stage. Yeah. I also read somewhere, interestingly enough, that this whole, like the, the development of a COVID-19 vaccine, even when it's fully rolled out, would actually represent quite a small part of Pfizer's overall business and as such revenues and earnings. So it's a kind of interesting perspective to take too. Rory, I want to come over to you because as I mentioned, some of our best performing stocks over the course of the pandemic have been absolutely hammered in the last few days. And, you know, it, it's never nice to see those stocks that were performing so well suddenly plummet. I think it was um, Daniel Kahneman who said the the pain of loss is twice that of a gain. Should should we have been expecting this? You know, was this something that we should have been waiting for? I mean, I just it was one of the most bizarre days I've seen on Wall Street in my time. You know, um, you know, we were getting from Pfizer, you know, the kind of very responsible uh, tones coming out of them saying, you know, look, we've we've developed this this uh, this vaccine. We're going to ha- be able to to have a couple of twenty million doses by the end of the year. 165 million total uh, vaccines out because you need two doses. So by the yeah. end of next year, and and, and you know the those you know people from the um, government coming out, you know, saying, oh, you know, it's great news, but we all have to still remain cautious. And the market was just like it was like Age of Aquarius <laughs> was playing in the background. You know, they were just having an absolute kind of feel there. I mean, I've never gotten so much text from friends i know when i get texts from friends that something mad has happened that's kind of my that's my you know the old joseph kennedy story about the uh the shoe shine shine, tell them about stocks when i get start getting uh text messages from friends asking about investing advice i know mania has has entered the market um it certainly it certainly was one of those days like like emma just mentioned the pfizer i was getting loads of people asking me whether we should buy pfizer i was asking people whether they should dump their uh, tech stocks and uh, and start buying hotels again start buying concert you know live nation and uh nordstrom it's like people are thinking that we're never going to shop online again it's like good news yeah. you know good news you never have to use amazon again everyone <laughs> it's not like, or you know i mean you know the next problem is going to be just people aren't be able to you know walk down the pavement because of all the strewn abandoned peloton bikes you know they people are just going to totally give up on connected fitness they're going to totally give up on online shopping and things are just going to go back to normal and it just doesn't seem like that's the case i mean i'm you know me i'm an optimistic person for the most part i think this is still a long way away business-wise 
not a huge amount is going to change. We're getting kind of weird um, contradictory messages from Pfizer versus the current administration about how long this is going to take and what's the what's the rollout time. But, you know, Zoom is still going to be a huge part of, of business. Um, it's going to Peloton's going to be a huge part of connected fitness. Etsy, Amazon, Shopify are going to be huge parts of the online shopping experience and the, and the retail experience in general. You know, when it, e-commerce is one of those things that it's just it's a great product. Like it, you've got yeah. unlimited choice. Uh, you get to do it from your couch and, you know, you don't have to go out into the world where um, and a lot of the time it's cheaper. You know, a lot of the time it's cheaper than going to a store. So it's a brilliant uh, offering. The, the the speed bumps that stopped a lot of people going, whether it was, you know, finding the sites that they want to use or oh, the pain of delivery and returns and things like that. A lot of those things are being ironed out. And now, you know, with that kind of jump and penetration that we've talked about, the big leap forward that we've seen, the 10 year jump, so many people are just never, they're never going to go back. Yeah, it, it appeared to me as if the market was was reacting as if we were suddenly going to go back to, to February of this year and everything was going to be, you know, just kick off from then rather than, ignoring the the nine ten months we've gone through and, and all the changes i think you've said once rory that 10 years of change has happened in 10 months yeah totally and look i mean look a lot of these companies as we've seen were were on incredible runs and a lot of that was yeah. covid related so you know i do understand the you know from a kind of valuation point of view maybe people have kind of just adjusted a little bit downwards that's totally reasonable kind of behavior but the the wild sell-offs we were seeing were quite remarkable i thought and you know, COVID or not, these are still brilliant businesses. COVID's definitely given them a boost. It's definitely opened up kind of a new opportunity for a lot of them. Um, but then you have to you have to balance it on the whole idea of, well, COVID's not over yet. Trust me, it, it is not over. You know, we still have to deal with the fact that it's it's been so uh, politicized that half of people in America are saying they don't want to take a vaccine. So yeah. you know, that's, that's, a, that's another speed bump we have to get over. Keeping it cool at minus 70, that's another... Uh, hurdle we have to get over the fact that it takes 15 minutes recovery with a doctor after you get the vaccine that's that's another hurdle there's so many hurdles we still have to jump over and so as much as you know it was great day on monday and everyone was getting very excited and happy about it you know we're not there yet you know and then that's um, i hope i'm not coming across as being the person who doesn't want a covid vaccine because i want my stocks (laughs) to do well that's definitely not the case (laughs) trust me uh i miss going to the pub just as much as the rest the next person but i just like i think i think a little bit of moderation in terms of what we're thinking about and how fast we think this thing is going to be fixed is, is definitely um the best solution or the best way of looking at things at the moment Absolutely. So you mentioned politics there. And as I'm sure most of our listeners know, there was a small matter of a presidential election in the US last week. Um, I think I can probably speak for everyone in Ireland when I say that as confusing as the Electoral College vote is, it absolutely makes for nail biting television. I think we were all glued to our our TVs. I give John King credit for that. He makes it so good. That yeah, should be, he think, should be our next guest. <laughs> I think people would have uh, voted for John King as president if they could have after <laughs> those few days. He was uh, I've never seen someone get so many praise on Twitter. I actually saw a tweet saying I never knew my girlfriend was so attracted to men who can do maths fast on TV. <laughs> but um, I wonder if John King knows that he has like a mad fan base in Ireland of people who just absolutely adore him. <laughs> <laughs> So instead of delving into the results of the election, I decided on this podcast, we're going to take a look at some of the other issues that Americans were voting on last week, too, that actually could have much larger implications for investors. So let's go over to California first. And there was a vote on Proposition 22, which, as many of you will know, um, essentially was a referendum that classified the status of gig workers. So if they were 
classified as contractors or as employees. Um, this particularly affected companies like Uber and Lyft, who obviously use a lot of gig workers as their drivers. Um, Rory, Proposition 22, I know you were very critical of it over the past few months, given the lack of protections that drivers often receive as contractors. But I believe your position has changed slightly since on this. Um, I don't know if it's changed, but it's probably eased a bit. I mean, first of all, I think the idea of these, like a lot of these ballot measures are quite alien to kind of Irish people, you know, the idea that you'd have yeah. a ballot measure that companies are able to invest, you know, uh, Uber, Lyft and DoorDash contributed something like 205 million to this campaign. And, you know, they were up against the, the labor unions who I think raised something like 10 million total. So it, it seemed like a very unfair fight to begin with. And then, you know, you think about you know, when you're asking the people to vote on this, a lot of people have gotten very comfortable with these platforms and, you know, you're kind of asking them to weigh their lifestyle that's that, that's become quite handy and quite easy versus a, a much more kind of ethical question of how much we should yeah. pay people who do these kind of hard jobs. Um, so that's the kind of first thing that I kind of found, you know, just uh, rubbed me up the wrong way a little bit. In terms of the actual outcome, you know, yeah, I was quite critical of it. I, I did think this was kind of a power move by the by the ride sharing companies to just kind of bail out of what is, I think, the responsibility, which is to look after workers. But I have read quite, I've read a little bit by a guy called Aaron, I'm going to mispronounce this terribly now, apologies, Aaron Sundarajan, uh, who wrote a book uh, a few years ago called The Sharing Economy. And he kind of made some good arguments, which is that like the world is moving in, in this direction quite a bit anyway this idea that a lot of yeah. people aren't going to be kind of full-time employees that we're going to do a lot more kind of gig work unless you know rather than there being no protections prop 22 was at least you know creating a template where there was a kind of shared fund that all these companies were contributing to in order to kind of give some form of benefits to people and so he's kind of talked me around to even though the fact that prop 22 wasn't let's say, you know, it's not it's not the, the best solution at the moment, but it's at least giving legislators a kind of template on which they can start building more rights for these kind okay. of, for, for the employees underneath. So, yeah, I mean, look, it's, it's a huge victory for Uber and Lyft and DoorDash, as highlighted by the fact of the amount of money that they poured into it. They're yeah. going to have to do this a lot more, though. Like, there's other states that are that are looking at this. Massachusetts in particular is, has a big problem with the way they're classifying the drivers. I think the fact that, you know, when COVID struck, the fact that, these multi-billion dollar companies were reaching out to the government saying, here, you need to pay these people because we're not going to. That's that's a, that's an issue that I don't think uh, Americans want really if you if you were to kind of, you know, ask them in that that kind of sense, if that's what they want happening in the future. So I think there has to, there is going to be some form of kind of legislation against these businesses just to protect people and just to make sure that they don't end up in a situation where the government's bailing these companies out all the time. Yeah. So as you mentioned there, Rory, you know, the likes of Uber and Lyft were, were massive in, in pushing for this proposition to pass. Um, do you think the fact that, you know, they can still now count their drivers as contractors rather than employees, does that make Uber and Lyft more attractive investment opportunities to you or are you still waiting to see? No, I, I still don't like them as business models. I think, um, you know, for all the kind of innovation that Uber has brought to the world of, of transport, and I do appreciate that and I understand it, I just don't like the 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 um, the whole way that it's 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 basically pitching the consumer against against the driver, really. You know, yeah. and, and I think I think they're hamstrung as well by the whole fact that you know the you know the fact that they can't keep those employees as well is a problem because now they're competing on two fronts, and then you, know, you bring in food delivery. We've talked about this a lot more. Now they're fighting on three fronts in food delivery because the restaurants don't like that model either. 
So I think like, you know, Uber, Lyft, DoorDash, all these kind of businesses, there's something there, definitely. But at the moment, it's just too antagonistic on too many sides. They're fighting too, they're fighting wars on too many fronts for me. Yeah. Um, and now, you know, you add in the whole, go- the, the government side of things as well. I think it's going to be hard for them to kind of justify the kind of valuations they're at, at the moment. And, you know, I, I may be proven wrong, have been in the past, but I wouldn't be investing them at the moment. Definitely not. Absolutely. I think it'll be interesting to see what, what other states bring in in terms of that. So let's move on then. And some other big news was that four new states, New Jersey, Arizona, South Dakota, and Montana, have joined the ever-growing list of jurisdictions in the US that have legalized recreational marijuana use. Um you guys probably remember back in 2018 when Canada completely legalized uh, the use of weed across the country. There was a huge boom in people investing in small weed companies and just the industry as a whole really, really jumped. Since then, it's been kind of lackluster. I, I think a lot of investors at that time would probably still be waiting on those kind of returns they were promised from those companies. Emmett, do you think we're reaching a point in the US now with, with an ever-growing list of states legalising the use of marijuana for medicinal and recreational purposes? Are we are we approaching a tipping point where it, it might actually become an industry that, that we start investing in? It's certainly an industry that is going to be big enough for us to inspect. It already is. And, and I know that we've already had a close look at, at um, several uh, businesses, floated businesses in, in the weed industry, if you want to call it that, many of which are floated up in Canada. Um, the problem, or I suppose the challenge is that, you know, when something is unregulated and in marijuana's case illegal at one stage you know margins are huge but as you know the illegality of it is relaxed and it gets regulated players enter the arena they go above the line it suddenly becomes hyper competitive and margins start to get compressed so um absolutely yes we will look again at marijuana stocks and we continue to do so i think a few years ago we wrote a paper called uh was it buy low and sell high, which I still think is a very witty title. Um, and I didn't even come up with that title, but that was a good one. Um, and I had to look through what floated uh, stocks are out there that would interest me at the moment. And just one caught my eye and it's called Planet 13. And it's everything we pass on here. When we go to mm. look for stock from my Wall Street or for Horizon, we, you know, we have certain parameters that we, we operate within. And so Planet 13 is a small cap stock it's over the counter it's about four dollars a share it's actually even less than four dollars a share and it has one single store in las vegas which you know i think it's called a dispensary um but you got to go and google image this place you know look at <laughs> go to google images and look at planet 13 las vegas i mean it, to say it's like an apple store doesn't do it justice. I mean, it is a ginormous thing. I was reading somewhere online that it's considerably bigger than one of the large-scale Walmarts. So, um, and, and our friends over at the Motley Fool call it the Disneyland of cannabis, which I, I don't know if that's the look that Disney is going for, but, you know, it is quite an interesting... I thought it looked very compelling. I, I don't have its market cap to hand. I think I saw some like 800 million bucks for a single dispensary plus the supply chain is quite a price tag. But they seem to have a template that's very um, reproducible in all these cities where um, that have passed laws uh, allowing cannabis to be sold. Yeah. So, yeah, I, to your question, yes, there there is opportunity to invest in quality businesses in the marijuana business. Um, you could go with pure plays that are just literally into the business of of growing, packaging and selling 
uh, weed and then there's those that are in the pick and shovel business which help the growers do what they do so yeah there's a lot of different ways to invest in the industry um and uh yeah i look at it i don't i have certainly no uh it's not outside my parameters i just i'm waiting for it to kind of get to a place where it's a little more predictable like going back to planet 13 if you looked as i did at its balance sheet um it's it if you read it blindly it's it's not compelling they're they're getting a loss here quarter on quarter but when you look at the big picture um it is getting more and more compelling and there might just be a time in the next few years where there's a planet 13 in every major suburban you know area yeah. in the us well well as you mentioned there planet 13 is what kind of the, one of those smaller pure play companies um rory yeah. do you think what influence do you think kind of larger companies like brewers or, or even tobacco companies might have in this space too is there a chance that they could come in and you know when i suppose marijuana becomes legal on a federal level in the us could just eat up eat up all the cake yeah, I mean, just, bef- just before we get on to that, I just think it's like, it's incredible uh, looking back on how fast this movement has spread. You know, uh, just over eight years ago, there wasn't a single state in America where um, recreational use was was legal. That all changed in 2012. Colorado became the first um, state to legalize recreational marijuana. And now at the moment, you know, with, with those new ones that just came in following the ballot measures on uh, a week ago, about one in three Americans now live in a, a state where they have access to it. That's 93 million people. Yeah. Um, and, you know, you've got New York, Florida, Ohio are all expected to kind of look at legislation over the next 12 months. So it's moving so quickly, you know, and, and um, I've been a bit bearish on the on marijuana stocks in the past. I think an awful lot of the hype around them was a bit misplaced. You know, I think someone, I can't remember who it was, said that it was going to overtake the wine industry. Um, which I just don't think is, is is true. I think that's a bit a bit. Over is that it. just your personal just... preference for wine, though, Rory? Well, I mean, you know, I, d- I dabble in both. The way you're talking about. <laughs> don't do an Elon Musk on us now, please. Um, but the in terms of yeah, the brewers, you know, that, that was kind of one of the plays that we looked at. A big problem that the, the smaller companies have, of course, is that it's still a federal crime. You know, you can, it's hard to run a business when the US government is telling you that what you're doing is a, is a federal crime. And so a lot of the businesses have an awful lot of trouble, even though they're able to operate within the states. You know, they have big problems getting things like banking, um, access to banking, big problem getting access to credit, because no major company, no big bank uh, wants to be associated with a company that is breaking the law. You know, that's, yeah. that's just, why would we put ourselves in that position? Um, the companies that we did look at that we liked in particular was, was Constellation Brands. They've, because not only are they a great business with a great, you know, with Corona and their wine portfolio, but they had this um, minority interest in Canopy Growth Corp, which as well seemed like one of the more established and better run marijuana businesses. Um, not so much the kind of mom and pop kind of thing that, that we do see in the kind of pink sheets, you know. Mm. Uh, so that was the kind of way I think is was safest to play it. And uh, yeah, it is growing. It's growing super fast. And um, I can I can definitely see kind of federal legislation coming down the coming down the line at some point in, in the future maybe not the near future but definitely kind of in the next 10 years i think it's definitely something people are going to be discussing a lot more because what do you do when you know a third of the population you know is has access to it you know it's it's a very weird kink in the kind of the whole federalist system i suppose but yeah there certainly does appear to be a tipping point coming where it's inevitable that that federal legislation will come in and the velocity is definitely picking up. Let's move on quickly then to the last of the three big um, 
changes that came out from last week. And this is that three more states, Maryland, Louisiana and South Dakota, all voted yes on a ballot to legalize sports betting. Um, so this brings the number of states now in the US that allow sports betting up to 25, following an end to the federal ban of the practice two years ago. Because sports betting is not illegal on a federal level, Rory, do you think it has more of an immediate runway for growth than marijuana? Yeah, we've talked about this before, haven't we? And, you know, there's, uh, the, I remember reading up on this and there was one industry research firm had predicted it was like an $8 billion a year kind of industry, whereas like the American Gaming Association estimated it was $150 billion in illegal sports betting. So wow. it's one of those areas that people really don't know. You know, there's too much of a divergence there and how much money is passing around. But like, I would always be in favor, you know, in terms of just if something's going on at that level, if there's $150 billion passing through people's hands, pretty much like under the radar or in that kind of gray area, you may yeah. as well legalize it. You may as well regulate it. It's um, happening anyway. It's happening anyway, you know, and, and Americans love sports and they love, you know, putting on a, putting on a bet. And the only thing is though, like, as we see, and this continues to be the case, is what we talked about last time. It's like every state is doing it so differently. You know, in Mississippi, for example, you can place a bet on your mobile phone, but only if you're inside a casino. Um, wow. which is just odd you know and in, <laughs> in in rhode island there was these like if to get a gaming license you had to go through this kind of fbi interview process where you were asked questions like do you own a gun and do you get on with your mother-in-law you know really kind of weird <laughs> stuff you know and and um at the moment we're looking in um we're looking in quite into a company called DraftKings, which is involved in kind of the sports betting uh, element of it very much so and they seem like a good company but again it's so hard to pinpoint what's going on with all these states bringing out their own their own particular laws louisiana is one that's quite interesting because college football is really really big down there um and a company called pen uh gaming which i think has got kind of a lot of kind of hype on twitter and stuff like that are are trying to get into that zone they acquired uh, a minority interest in barstool sports which um, yeah. is a very interesting business a kind of quite raw uh media company that was founded by a guy called david portnoy and if anyone's interested i'd recommend he did a great interview with um on masters of business a couple of uh weeks ago where he talks about building barstool sports and kind of where he sees the kind of sports media business going so yeah, I mean, this it's sim similar to marijuana. I see it as something that, like you know, is going to go pretty much across all the states. It's an easy sell to states. You know, it's it's revenue generating. It's already happening. May as well get it get it in there and start and start making some money for the treasury. Uh, but hopefully, they start aligning a little bit more in terms yeah. of what the what the taxes are, what the regulations are, and hopefully, they look as well at the UK because the UK has been at this an awful lot longer than they have, and they're kind of coming to a situation there where they're seeing all the problems, you know. Mm. And so there's 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 knowledge there, there's public knowledge there for the states to look at and say like, let's follow the guys who have been through this before, and let's 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 learn from their mistakes rather than just repeat them blindly. Um, so yeah, it's a space we're looking at really closely. I think we've mentioned a couple of companies before. Flutter Entertainment is an interesting one, even though it's not currently listed on the Nasdaq, on the New York Stock Exchange or Nasdaq. Uh, a couple of the casino businesses are making investments in places like old UK bookmakers and things like that. So it's still, I haven't made a call on it yet. DraftKings is the most interesting one, I think, at the moment, but we'll, we're going to kind of wait and see, I think, until things kind of progress a little bit more yeah absolutely three three really big areas to look out for over the next year anyway um let's move on and take a quick look at the, all the things going on in my wall street at the moment so we're midway through another month which means we have a new stock of the month report and a new stock with one podcast to catch up on uh this month's stock with one pick is a really exciting company 
It has incredible retention rates and an enviable history of making great acquisitions. It's also the se- only the second time ever that we've repicked a company for the stock of the month. So you really want to check that out. We also have a new addition coming to the shortlist next week. Um, have you any clues for us, Rory, on this new company? Oh, definitely not. No, no, no. <laughs> we so don't do clues. <laughs> Planet 13. Planet 13. <laughs> yes, Planet 13. <laughs> you stole my idea. <laughs> Wouldn't be the first time. <laughs> if you want to find out if that company is Planet 13 or not, make sure to sign up for My Wall Street. You can get access to your free trial by just clicking on the link in the notes for today's show. Um, let's move on to Jargon Busters, guys. And the first question is a, actually a really interesting one. So James on Twitter asks, we often talk about Tesla here, but how much attention should long-term investors pay to the wider EV market, to the wider electric vehicle market? Um, who wants to take that? Uh, I'll take that one, James. So yeah, all, like, so all car companies are going electric. They, they're all yeah. going there either with new, uh, with a new brand or their existing brand. I think like, for example, Volvo has a new brand called Polestar, which they're just separated off to build their electric range with. Um, and then there's a pile of new players who are unencumbered with old technology and assembly processes and all the rest. Um, so there are far more electric vehicle companies out there than I think most people realize. And I have compiled a list of 12 of them, which I'm going to read through right now. Um, have either of you guys been watching Long Way Up on Apple TV? No. With Charlie Berman and Ewan McGregor? Oh, it's a terrific show. It's really great. And, and the premise of the show is Ewan McGregor and his lifelong best friend, Charlie Berman, fly to the very, very southern tip of South America and on electric vehicles only are making their way up to LA which is something like a 100 day journey and they're doing it on electric bikes which are manufactured by Harley Davidson and uh, the crew that are following them are using Rivian um, electric uh, vans and it's a great show by the way it's it's worth yeah. um, I think subscribing to Apple Plus for on its own so in honour of Charlie Berman and Ewan McGregor I'm going to I've compiled a list of 12 ele- floated EV companies for them to consider now I'm actually working through these myself from a um, a, a potential investment perspective and, and um, I, I have everything I can find in this list at the moment, but it may not be exhaustive. So there's a relatively new, so let's start with the newest one. There's a Chinese company called Xpeng, uh, electric vehicle company. And um, it's quite big already. I noticed some like $26 billion in market cap. There's uh, Lordstown Motors, which has the ticker symbol ride which i think is great nice nice work there lords and it, that that went to market via a spac i'm going to be saying that a few times now there's um hylian holdings and they uh, also went to market via a spac now obviously i'm not going to tell you what each of these guys do there's fisker which uh was uh, another spac i think and actually it's ticker is spaq uh there's aero which is A-Y-R-O. There's Lee Autos, uh, ticker L-I. There's Neo, which I think James on Twitter mentioned, uh, N-I-O. There's, of course, uh, Nicola, which we've discussed here in this podcast several times. There's Electra Mechanica Vehicles Corporation, and its ticker is Solo. There's Workhorse Group, uh, W-K-H-S. 
Um, now, Rivian, as far as I know, and I have to double check on this, is a private business. And I think Amazon and Ford are collaborators on that particular enterprise. So you could argue indirectly you're investing in them if you go via Amazon and Ford. But I mean, seriously, I yeah. don't think that that's uh, a very sound approach to go with Rivian. So and then there is Arkimoto and it's F-U-V and it's a small cap. So that's 12 listed EV companies that you may or may not have ever heard of and hopefully might serve some of our listeners as a starting point to research alternatives to Tesla. I'm using this list as my starting point as, you know, the who might be the Pepsi to Tesla's cola. I just don't know just yet, but um, there is a lot of choice out there. Um, and to the, to James's original question, how much attention should long-term investors pay? Um, we are in the earliest moments or the, the springtime of this particular industry um, and even locally, a friend of ours, a friend of mine is, has a business called Electrify where he's taking old classic cars and electrifying them and, yeah. and taking out engines and, and making them electric for you. So Norman Crowley down in Wicklow is, is electrifying companies through his company Electrify. And that's, I mean, say electrifying cars via his company. So, um, so it is the beginning of a whole new industry. There are some outstanding investment opportunities out there at the moment that go beyond Tesla and we will find them and yeah. we will invest in them. I think the theme for this today's podcast seems to be new industries coming up. We've talked about sports betting. We've talked about weed. We've talked about electric cars. Um, I think I've already got the title for today's show sorted out. Uh, let's move on then to our next question. Uh, Rory, I want to throw this over to you. And this is our thoughts on the company Palantir. So this is a, a Peter Thiel backed company that we've been hearing a lot about because it's IPO'd recently. So do we have any kind of thoughts or is it on our watch list or, or radar at all? Um, yeah, I wrote a, a Daily Insight about it when it first posted as S1 and I was kind of trying to come at it with a kind of non-biased viewpoint because yeah. Peter Thiel, he kind of, you know, there's certain kind of feelings you get from Peter Thiel as being this kind of evil overlord, I suppose, the, yes. <laughs> linked to Facebook. and uh, But I looked at the business and the S1 was kind of impressive Um for people who don't know, Palantir is a kind of data capture business that's it's uh, highly used by the CIA and the NSA and, and the, the American Army are kind of their biggest um, their biggest clients. But they tried to branch out as kind of co- more commercial businesses as well. And, you know, I wasn't totally blown away by it. There were certain things that seemed to be going in the right direction, but they were still, you know, this is a company that was 16 years old. It was still losing like $600 million a year. They didn't really seem to offend any kind of operational re- uh, leverage. And then, you know, whatever you think about the business, before you invest, I would strongly urge people to read an article that was posted in New York magazine a couple of weeks ago called uh, Techie Software Soldier Spy, which is by uh, a woman called Sharon Weinberger. Uh, it's a long read. It took me about the guts of an hour to get through. But to be honest, if you're not willing to spend an hour reading about a company, then you shouldn't be investing in full stop. Uh, and, and this article really raised an awful lot of red flags in my head uh, regarding the business for everything from its kind of its sales practices to its reliance on lobbyists and high ranking members of the current administration uh, to a number of use cases that just completely failed. Um, you know, like they came out with a, a product called Palantir Metropolis, which was designed for financial institutions. And that was uh, found out to be, and in quotation marks here, an unmitigated failure. They yeah. also had a, a much vaunted joint venture with Credit Suisse, which was designed to kind of police its own its own employees, its own banking employees, which was a complete disaster as well. 
And then it goes into rumours, and these are just rumours that they've fallen out with a number of the intelligence agencies, which are their biggest clients. Um, they've also worked with a lot, of, a lot of police forces, which you would think would be kind of a natural evolution from their work in the military, but really nothing's come of that. And I think the the kind of end point to the article was that this term kept coming up, which was that which was RFOP, which stands for Room Full of People. Um, and if you're going to have a, have a translation system, it's only really worthwhile investing in all that money in it if it's kind of AI powered and if you're relying on kind of a room full of people in the background to keep cleaning yeah. up the data and keep customizing how the system works, it's never going to be profitable for you. It's always going to just be more work, you know? And I think the kind of end or well, the the, the author of the, the piece kind of ended on what she'd learned was that Palantir very much was more of a room full of people than kind of the AI powered Thing that it was kind of portraying itself to be and that's an awful lot less than impressive than palantir would have you believe um which is potentially why it's still kind of losing money after 16 years um and kind of you know as well with with ipos and especially with spacs and these things you always have to ask why are they selling now you know and and this is a strange time in the world coronavirus elections and stuff like that just something something doesn't feel right about palantir to me so um i would give it a pass for now so what you're saying is that. Palantir isn't going to be the new stock in the app on Monday. You never know. <laughs> Maybe that was just that was just a fake out. Just throw you all off. <laughs> okay, let's move on then to the elevator pitch. And this week I'm asking you guys to pick your favorite pick and shovel company. So just to clarify here, a pick and shovel company is a company that builds the underlying technology needed to produce another good or service instead of the final output. So um, like the people who profited from the gold rush by selling picks and shovels rather than actually going out and digging the gold themselves. Um, Emmett, I'll throw this over to you first. What's your favorite pick and shovel company? Um, my favorite pick and shovel company is also one of my largest holdings and it's Viva Systems. And they are a software company founded by um, by a guy who came from Salesforce and I suppose you could describe Viva as similar to the Salesforce, but for the pharma industry, it serves 700 plus, I think 800 customers, including Pfizer, who we spoke to earlier, and yeah. all the other giant pharma and biotech companies like Eli Lilly and Novartis, Gilead Sciences, and so on. And simply what it allows these businesses to do is manage the operating and regulatory challenges of drug development and sales, because it is a highly, highly regulated industry. And so it should be. Um, and it, it, the complexities of it are, are very high. And Viva has built a system of tools that allow the biopharma and regular pharmaceutical companies of the world to manage the entire drug development and delivery pipeline. Uh, so Viva is not in the drug delivery business, but it develops the pick and shovel for those businesses. Sounds like a good way that you could possibly get indirect exposure to the pharma industry, like in, in, through a company yeah. that you actually have a chance of understanding rather than a pharmaceutical company. Completely agree. I mean, it is it is that it allows you to get expo- and irrespective of whether a drug succeeds or otherwise, Viva still stay in and they basically it's such a sticky business that I think they're virtually 100% customer Absolutely. attention. Up more than sixfold since we picked it for the My Wall Street app just four years ago as well. Uh, Rory, what's your favourite pick and shovel play? Well, I love uh, Viva Systems as well. I'm also a big shareholder, but I'm going to go, and I, I might be stretching it here calling this pick and shovel play, but I think it, it fits. But uh, Roku, I think, is just a brilliant, brilliant company. Uh, we all know the world is moving towards streaming. Um, what was a quite a concentrated area with kind of Netflix, Amazon is now spreading out much wider. You've got Peacock, you've got Disney Plus, you've got uh, 
the HBO Go Max and there's so many new ones coming out and people are people are also getting their streaming from other places as well you know YouTube's becoming very big as well especially with the whole DIY thing being able to combine all that stuff into one place being able to manage subscriptions from one place being you know Roku is that agnostic really to who wins the streaming wars they just they just want streaming to keep going and um and so, so I think of them as a pick and shovel play from that sense. I also think of them as a pick and shovel play from the uh, OEM space as well, because all the TV manufacturers are now licensing Roku's platform to put into their TVs to make them smart TVs. So I really like Roku. It's a great business with great ma- with great leadership and Anthony Wood. And um, yeah, that's my favorite pick and shovel play at the moment, if you'll allow it. Yeah, I'm a big fan of Roku. I thought when you were prefacing that, I thought you were going to try wangle Peloton in there somewhere, <laughs> and I was, I was going to shut you down straight away. <laughs> I've learned my lesson. I've learned my lesson ever since they, ever since uh, you found that mute button. I've learned my lesson. Yeah. <laughs> you show me where that is, James. By the way, I'm really keen to find out where that button is. You can just kick him out of the Zoom call. I'll, turn around, I'll show you. Uh, so that's it from this week's Stock Club. Don't forget about all the great new stuff in my Wall Street at the moment. If there's anything you want us to discuss or explain on the next episode. Make sure to get in touch. You can find us on Twitter, as always. That's at MyWallStreetHQ. Or email us at pod at MyWallStreet.com. That's P-O-D at MyWallStreet.com. Don't forget to subscribe to Stock Club 2. And if you're enjoying the podcast, please leave a review or a rating for us on whatever platform you listen to us on. That's it from us here today. Thanks for listening in. We'll talk to you in two weeks. Happy investing. This episode of Stock Club is brought to you by Hyundai. Restart your journey towards a greener world with Hyundai's next generation of zero emission cars. Find out more about their range of electric vehicles and the savings they can bring to your company and employees at Hyundai.ie. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamline my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone.